Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, America. Welcome to the program. This is a Just Cause Coast to Coast where we bring you education, awareness, and information about judicial injustice. I'm Sam Thurman on behalf of Cliff Stewart, Ethel Lopez, and Lamont Banks, who are on assignment. Joining me this evening in the studio are Michelle Harris and Lynette Campbell, and uh, they are our guest uh, hosts uh, sitting in tonight. How you how you guys doing? Great. Well, how thanks. you ladies doing? I'm doing well, thank you. <laughs> yes, thanks for having us on. All right, I'm glad you're able to, to join in this evening, and we've got a lot of things that we're going to be talking about. Uh, obviously, there's a lot in the news that's going on. Uh, in in Missouri with the Michael Brown case and and then other things just around the country. We'll be talking about that. Also, uh, this evening, we're going to be talking about judges seeking justice for the wrongly convicted. And joining us to talk about that will be uh, the Honorable Judge Michael Heavey. Uh, And uh, he is uh, uh, basically the head of the Judges for Justice. And so we're going to be talking to him a little bit later. And then also, uh, joining us from Missouri will be a Missouri State Senator, uh, Senator Jamela Nasheed, and she's going to give us a firsthand account about some things that's going on there, and she's actually launched a petition uh, seeking a special investigator there in Ferguson, Missouri. So we're going to cover all that as well. Before we get going uh, any further, let me do the, the uh, disclaimer and remind our listeners that we are not attorneys, and a just cause coast-to-coast does not provide legal advice so we uh, suggest that you contact your personal legal advisor for your legal needs. Also, the opinions expressed by the callers and guests do not necessarily reflect that of a just cause or a just cause coast to coast. But as always, thank you for tuning in and choosing to spend time with us this evening. Uh, for our listeners, if you'd like to chime in, if you have a question or a comment, our phone number is 347 838 Again, 347 838 8976. If you'd like more information about a just cause, you can always go to www.a-justcause.com. Again, that's a-justcause.com. want to remind our listeners that uh, we are also asking uh, for your support, your financial support. We are currently working on our 501c3, but that does not prohibit you from being able to make a donation. If you really believe in what we're doing, we ask that you support us there as well. There is a donate button on our on our uh, website. Just go there and click it, and then we'll take care of the rest. Uh, also, for a uh, programming note, if you like uh, more information or uh, as far as programming and to listen in to archive programs, you can go to AJCRadio.com, Live365.com for your 24 by 7 AJC programming. And then on Sunday mornings at 1030 a.m. Eastern Time, you can get a Just Cause Coast to Coast on the Progressive Radio Network, and that is found at prn.fm. Again, prn.fm. And for our regular listeners, you know that uh, we often talk about the IRP-6 uh, on the program. The IRP-6 were instrumental in starting uh, a Just Cause because of the gross injustice that they were subjected to. Uh, these are IT professionals, and I'm talking about Gary Walker, David Banks, Dave Zerpolo, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Demetrius Harper. Uh, more information about them can be found out on freetheirp6.org, freetheirp6.org. 
org. And again, you know, these are IT professionals who started IRP Solutions Corporation in 2003. In 2005, their business was raided by the FBI under the auspice, uh, basically under the guise of a, of a, um, the fact someone is saying that they, they uh, were um, committing fraud and, and had a scam going and all this kind of stuff. And there's nothing further from the truth on that. And so information out there on freethirp6.org will dispel that. If, if you want to go back and listen to archive programs, going to definitely dispel any notion about that. At any rate, uh, you had the FBI come in. They raided the business. And then there were two grand juries that were called in order to uh, get an indictment. The first grand jury, that grand jury said that there was no wrongdoing, that this was a debt collection situation, which, in fact, it was. Uh, the second grand jury was called uh, by Assistant U.S. Attorney Matthew Kirsch, and he only called one witness, and that was FBI agent Robert Moen, and they got the conviction. The case went to trial in 2011, and uh, the, the guys ended up representing themselves pro se. And through the course of the proceedings, there was a Fifth Amendment violation. There was an expert witness that was not allowed to testify uh, prior to the proceedings. Uh, the Speedy Trial Viola uh, Act was violated. And, uh, and, and then, as far as the Fifth Amendment violation is concerned, the transcript that would substantiate the fact that that had occurred was not made available to the IRP-6. Now, you know, uh, I've just been going back and forth on email on that subject in it just by itself. And that situation was handled at three levels of the court. It was handled at the district court, uh, where there was Judge Christina Arguello, a just cause. We filed a lawsuit in civil court, and uh, that one was handled by Judge Arbrook Jackson. And then it came up again during the appellate court, where there was a three-judge panel. Uh, you had Baldock, uh, Holmes, and Hartz. And in all three of those situations, everyone just sidestepped and stepped all sure around did. the fact that you had, and, and Judge Arguello mentioned that there were 200 pages of a transcript that she was not going to uh, release and not going to expedite and, and provide to the IRP-6. Within those pages, it's, it lies the secret. You know, what did Judge Arguello say that, that violated their Fifth Amendment right? And, and just to set the stage for that, um, there was a sidebar conference. During the sidebar conference, uh, Judge Arguello forced the guys to take the stand. Now, through the entire rest of the trial, all the rest of the transcript is available. Why is it that this particular sidebar conference is not? It's mysteriously missing. I know. Isn't that amazing? Sounds very, uh, very. Fishy. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Thanks. Not that, it, not that it just sounds fishy and that it's, you know, it, it does. It, it, it stinks. And, and, you know, like some people say, it don't smell, it don't pass the smell test. And what bothers me is how do three different courts determine that a transcript is missing means nothing? That is the law. They're supposed to follow the law. It's like they pick and choose what law they want to follow. And that bothers me as a citizen because when you go to court, you expect to be able to, that your rights are not going to get violated in the process of a trial. Right. And I, how am I supposed to back up what is going on in court if you didn't record it? Or That's if you right. decide you can choose to hide it, 
That's, That's right. the problem. All of us should be upset over that. That's right. Because when you go to court, what are they going to do to you when they hide? That's right. Because if they did it to the IRP-6, you know they're doing it to other people. Well, basically, it's a disregard for the law. It is. I mean, you got the Court Reporters Act that says that transcripts are in their entirety, unedited, uh, raw notes, and in their final version, uh, their final state, supposed to be made available for review for 10 years. Now, if a officer of the court, i.e., if a judge decides that there is something that lies within a particular transcript that might be potentially uh, incriminating uh, or might put me in a bad light, then all I got to do is just make it disappear. And then I say, well, I don't remember what I said, I, but I made a ruling on that that it wasn't necessary. And, and so, uh, you know, the, the defendants or whomever, they're just going to have to deal with that. Mm-hmm. I, I don't get that. And from, from transcript to transcript, at the district court level, at the civil court level, and in the appellate court level, all of them do agree on one thing, and that is there is no dispute that something is missing. Exactly. Why can't they do something about it? There's not, if there's something missing, they need to find out where that something is. And that something is the main thing that makes this case just you know, get totally thrown out. Now, we, you know, we've talked over the last few days about the fact that the appellate court, the Tenth uh, Circuit Court of Appeals, has come back with a decision in the IRP-6 case, and they affirmed the lower court's decision as far as they basically uh, uh, affirmed the conviction. That's when, you, you know, you got to take advantage of your other options now. And yeah. you got to, you know, start, and I'm not going to go into detail about everything that's going on, but then that's when you have to seek other relief from the standpoint that, you know, why is it that the district court is cho- has chosen to make transcripts disappear and then, you know, don't, uh, ensure that due process is exercised, why is it that the civil court will acknowledge the fact that something is missing, acknowledge the fact that the judge in the, uh, in the criminal court said something, but won't rule in favor of the IRP-6? And then you have the appellate court yeah. that follows that same train of thought, actually going against their own uh, precedent uh, within the Tenth uh, Circuit, where they say in the absence of a transcript, you have to reverse and remand. That's the reason why judges are getting away with what they're getting away with, because they're covering each other's back when the fact remains is that where's the transcript? It's the law. Give it to me. Absolutely. It's not a request. This is the law. And I just I'm so tired of them rubbing each other's back because they're covering for each other. When judge um, when the article was written by that judge, uh, Sarah, Kim, judge Sarah, yeah. he broke it down just in plain English. All of the reasons why that appeal should have came back and yep. those guys should be free. Absolutely. I mean, it wasn't even just one thing. Absolutely. It was several things. And who is stupid enough to have the FBI agents in their business to build software to turn around and screw the FBI? You got it. I mean, it. really? Are you kidding me? You got me? it. Yep. I just, it's, it's just crazy. And, and, you know, and to that point, we're still, we being a just cause, we're still, still doing all the things that we have been doing as far as reaching out to, uh, to the listening audience, reaching, reaching out to other advocacy groups, uh, other activists, and seeking uh, support uh, in, in, for the IRP-6. And, and as part of that, we have a petition that's out on change.org, again, on change.org, asking folks to support uh, getting the Attorney General Eric Holder to say, you know, we need to look into this. We need to find out where are the missing pages in this transcript and ensure 
that uh, it is delivered because that is not, like I said before, that is not a due process. And so go to change.org, do a search on IRP6, and that should come up. One other thing as far as reaching out to Attorney Eric Holder, um, Michelle, what, what are we asking folks to do there as well? Yes, we're asking people to call Attorney General Eric Holder's office and ask him also to investigate the missing transcript in the IRP6 case. Their number is 202-514-2003, and there's a second number you can also call, 202-514-2005. And we're asking you call as much as you can. We need to make some noise. We need to let them realize we're not going away until we get justice for these men. And, you know, there's, there are even questions with regard to uh, the jury that was involved in this, in this case. And, and so each week we put out a request to the listening audience who, who may have been jurors in this case. We don't know. I mean, we have a lot of people listening to this program every week. And uh, so we're putting out a request to jurors, uh, poten- folks who were potentially a juror in this case, or someone who may know of a juror. Uh, who was in this case. So, uh, Lynette, what are we asking folks on that? We would ask the jurors who were in the IRP 6 case to call us if you have any questions, any misgivings. If you think something was irregular that happened, please give us a call at 855-529-4252, or you can email us anonymously at contact at a-justcause.com. And just to show you just, you know, how much attention uh, this uh, type of subject gets, uh, we, we put out a press release on this past Friday. Uh, I believe that was August 15th. We put out a press release. And as of this moment, I'm looking at it right now. As of this moment, that press release has 91,000 impressions. What that means is that 91,000 folks have, have hit that, that page that at least has that, uh, uh, um, you know, and, and viewed that, that particular uh, press release. And then there are a whole bunch of others who actually did a, a full-page read. And what that means is that, uh, you know, through technology, obviously, they can figure out who sat there and went through the entire, uh, went through the entire press release and read the entire thing. And so uh, you can go out to prweb.com. Again, prweb.com. Do a search on IRP6 again. And you will see a whole list of uh, press releases there. And, you can, uh, again, go to www.a-justcause.com, www.a-justcause.com, and, uh, and go to our media page, and you can get a, a viewing of all of the press releases that we put out over the uh, last several months. And I know um, with regard to just action of the government and intervening in cases, I know, Michelle, you had pulled this one article uh, that that was talking about uh, President Obama commuting yeah. a, a, a prison sentence. Yeah, there was an article out there about President Obama commuting a prison sentence after a judge refused to recognize a typo. And what's crazy is the guy got an extra three and a half years because of a typo within the courts. And the judge basically effectively shrugged their shoulders and told him, listen, that's just too bad you didn't ask soon enough. You had to do it within the year. Well, he didn't find out soon enough to get that resolved. And so President Obama stepped in and commuted his sentence. And so I'm thinking for a typo, for the president to step in and commute someone's sentence, why can he not step in when you got six innocent men sitting in prison? That's right. And there are 200 pages of a court transcript missing. And what I notice is a lot of people that we talk to are amazed 
that the transcript is missing at all. Absolutely. That how, how bizarre and odd it is that so much of the transcript is missing. And so what I, we're asking is for President Obama, take a look at the IRP6 case. Why is no one addressing the fact that those 200 pages are missing? That's right. If you can do it for this man, you certainly can do it for six innocent men, their families, some of whom have served their country, yep. all of whom are innocent yep. and deserve justice. You got it. And, 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 you know, that's one of the things, too, where you look at something like that. It, it, you know, you, some folks say, well, for a typo. Yeah. You know, but when you look at transcripts that are missing and you have a judge that is saying that, yeah, I said something. I don't remember what I said. Well, that to me would say that, uh, especially when you got all the rest of the court proceedings there, that in and, in, in and of itself should yes. raise a red flag uh, and, and say, you know, well, we need to look into this. And, and I know, Lynette, you found another article that kind of, you know, relates to the IRP6 situation from the standpoint early on, way early on before it even went to trial. The IRP-6 requested that Judge Arguello recuse herself. Yes, I did find an article where a Great Neck New York defendant filed a motion to have the judge who's overseeing his case recuse herself because she had personal connections to the DA. She worked with the DA. They knew each other on a personal level, but yet she would not recuse herself from the case. Didn't that sound familiar? I was going to say that's deja vu. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, you know, uh, Judge Arguello, uh, had, uh, she worked at Holland & Hart, which is the same law firm that uh, Greg Goldberg uh, worked at. And Greg Goldberg was uh, at one time a assistant U.S. attorney in the U.S. Attorney's Office in Denver. And, uh, but when the IRP-6 raised that issue, Judge, Judge Arguello said that, well, no, I don't really know Mr. Goldberg, yet in the Denver Post, Mr. Goldberg is quoted as, as congratulating Judge Arguello when she was appointed to the judgeship yeah. and saying that I know uh, Christine Arguello very well. Very well. Yes, and very well. she will do a fine job. So which is it? Exactly. Um, maybe the judge doesn't remember that. Conversation. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, she said she worked with him. Maybe that's what it is. She doesn't remember that conversation. She doesn't remember much, does she? Faulty uh, memory is a bad wow. thing. So she for, she it, forgot the law, too. So, Lynette, Michelle, thanks for being here this evening, and, and uh, we're going to keep this thing rolling here. We're going to take a, a quick little break, and when we come back, we're going to hit some of the things that's in the, in the news uh, to include, I believe, uh, uh, Missouri State Senator Jamila Nasheed is going to be joining us on the other side of the break, shortly after the other side of the break. Uh, she's a busy woman right now. She's got a, a lot of interviews going on, so uh, she's going to take a little bit of time out and join us as well. This is a Just Cause Coast to Coast where we bring you education, awareness, and information about judicial injustice. Our phone number is 347-838-8976, 347-838-8976. For Michelle and for Lynette, I'm Sam Thurman. We'll be right back. How often does our justice system get it wrong, convicting innocent people of crimes they did not commit? A new project by the University of Michigan Law School and the Center for Wrongful Convictions at Northwestern University School of Law tries to answer that question. In the 
last 23 years, more than 2,000 people have been convicted of serious crimes and later exonerated, according to the National Registry of Exonerations. By far, the largest segment was almost 1,200 defendants falsely convicted because of large-scale patterns of police corruption, generally in drug and gun cases. Of the remaining 873 defendants exonerated, nearly half were wrongly convicted of murder, and of that group, 101 were sentenced to death. On average, on average more than 11 years for a conviction to be set aside. Why does the justice system get it wrong? In homicides, the biggest problem is perjury and false accusation, most often by supposed eyewitnesses. False convictions in adult rape cases are primarily based on mistakes by eyewitnesses, while false convictions in child sex abuse cases are often for fabricated crimes that never occurred. 2,000 exonerations may seem small in a nation with more than 2.3 million people behind bars, but there are far more false convictions than the report contains. Most false convictions are never formally challenged, and those convictions that are successfully overturned return or no attention from the media, according to the court's authors. without my knowledge. Exposed to violence. Witnessed to rape. Placed in solitary confinement. Unable to call or see me. Shackled to a wall. Beaten. Sentenced as an adult at age 17. Sentenced as an adult at age 16. Sentenced as an adult at age 15. We felt lost. Isolated. Ostracized. Misjudged. Terrified. And in the absence of all hope, hope, my child took his own life. And then I found the Alliance for Youth Justice. They gave me the support and resources to get through one of the most difficult times in my life. Now I know I'm not alone. And neither are you. Now we have a voice. voice. Now we have power. In numbers. In numbers. In numbers. We can, we can make a difference. There are approximately 2 million children in the juvenile and criminal justice system in this country. These are the faces of those families. If you are the family member of a child of a ch who has been in the justice system, or if you are someone who supports this movement and is ready to make a difference, visit the Campaign for Youth Justice at www.campaignforyouthjustice.org. The opinions and views expressed by guests and callers on A Just Cause Coast to Coast do not necessarily reflect those of A Just Cause or A Just Cause Coast to Coast. Just Cause Coast to Coast, where we bring you education, awareness, and information about judicial injustice. I'm Sam Thurman, along with Michelle Harris and Lynette Campbell. Cliff, Ethel, and Lamont are on assignment this week. 
Our phone number is 347-838-8976, 347-838-8976. So uh, just want to throw this out there that uh, folks can follow us uh, on Twitter and they can like us on Facebook. And I would suggest that you do that. If you don't already do it, you can, on a daily basis, stay up to speed as to what's going on with a just cause or the IRP6 case. So we got a lot going on uh, in the news. It's it's covering the news from uh, channel to channel, from cover to cover. Yes. Uh, it, uh, it's blowing up the social media uh, arena as well, and that being what's going on in uh, Ferguson, Missouri. And so, you know, that's a tragic situation that uh, it's quickly – you know, it's people are all over the world and people here in the United States are saying, well, this doesn't look like the United States. Well, it looks like what it is. Yes, it <laughs> does. You know, Unfortunately, it's very much the United States. Yeah. And and, and uh, I heard the other day that someone made a comment that uh, had it not been for social media, that this type of thing happens all the time. But social media has made it where it becomes immediate news around the world, and all of a sudden it's in your face. Look what just happened in our little 20,000 population town. Yes, yes it does. And, uh, and, and so, uh, but it is something that's going to start holding people accountable. And so, you know, to that point, you know, I, I, you got the leaders, supposedly, you know, civil rights leaders, you know, everyone's coming out the woodworks and, and trying to get their little, their little media time. But I know Ethel, you, uh, Ethel, <laughs> <laughs> I knew I was going to do that. <laughs> at, at any rate, Michelle, there was this one article I know that you had, had pulled that you wanted to, to, uh, to share because we talked about this the other night in the sense that uh, with Trayvon Martin. Yeah. And um, it, it, that was a tragedy. Yes. Yet it just kind of fizzled out. It sure did. Now it happens again. So what what did you have? There? Yeah. And I was thinking I was thinking about Trayvon's mother this week and that what happens when the media is gone, when all the attention is moved off, she still lost her son. And it was still a tragedy. And because we as a society did not demand justice and change, now we have Michael Brown. And it's tragic. And she said um, in part of this article, says, I hate that you and your family must join this exclusive yet growing group of parents and relatives who've lost loved ones to senseless gun violence cases involving children far too young. But Michael is much more than a police or gun violence case. Michael is your son, a son that barely had a chance to live. Our children are our future. So whenever any of our children, black, white, brown, yellow, or red, are taken from us unnecessarily, it causes a never-ending pain that is unlike anything I could have imagined experiencing. And I thought, really, I am hoping that with what's going on with the Michael Brown case, I hope that family gets justice. And I hope that we as a society begin to build momentum for real change in this country. Because if they don't, there's going to be somebody else down the line, some parent who's going to suffer in losing their children. And so it just, it's touching because I think they don't talk much about Trayvon Martin anymore. Yeah. You know, like you said, it's, you know, well, it, the media seems to jump on something for a minute and then they immediately move on to the next thing. But what about the families that have been devastated? Why are we not as a society saying, wait a minute, this is happening too much. What is going on? And like she said, no matter what color you are, 
Those are our children. That's right. What would Michael Brown have contributed to our society? That's right. Had he had a chance to live? That's right. And, you know, uh, it, uh, we were reading something earlier today where I believe it was in February where President Obama uh, signed a, a proclamation, I guess is what it was, uh, the uh, I am a brother's keeper. Mm-hmm. And he was surrounded by a lot of young men of color. And part of the uh, brother's keeper program is to ensure that there are educational programs in place, ensure that there are a lot of opportunities that are put in place to help uh, men of color because mm-hmm. of the fact, and it's not an affirmative action uh, thing. So for you, those listeners who may be out there who, who are saying, here we go, no, we're not. It, it's a thing that, you know, just look at the facts. It, 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 it's a reality, uh, yeah. the fact that uh, uh, men of color, they have uh, greater challenges. It's, they do. N- it's not that we are not capable, and it is not that we don't have the intellect. It is just the way our system is set up to have a black man walking down the street and get shot. That's yeah. true. And I was thinking that um, kid at the Aurora Mall shooting, now he was actively engaged in murdering people. He's still alive. Yep. They brought him down. He sure did. I'm trying to understand why is it open season on our young black men. Yep. Now, Michael Brown was unarmed, and he is in the grave. Instead of going to college the next day, his mother, he was being sent to the morgue. And I'm trying to understand, he was shot in the back and unarmed. Something is wrong with this picture. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think the, the autopsy, uh, autopsy report came back, and they showed him shot, uh, what, five or six times yes, up did. the right side of his, his body. Mm-hmm. And then and, and the one that got me, though, was the one to the top of the head. Yeah. And they said that that was an indication that uh, – now, they threw out two theories, of course. You know, they're always going to throw, throw stuff out there. They said he, either he was moving forward or he was falling. I think after you've been shot four or five times already, yeah. you're falling. You're falling. Exactly. And to get shot in the head, I think one of the marks even showed uh, him being shot in the eye. And, uh, and so, you know, we don't want to be insensitive, but it, it, it does need to be brought to the attention that you have an unarmed kid. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, there was no justification for that, for that shooting at all. And what happened to trying to shoot to stop them or to wound them? Why is it most of these young black men are getting killed? If you can shoot, I, that's what it bothers me about the Aurora shooting. That man was doing some serious damage. And yet and still you got a young black man unarmed and you're going to kill him? He wasn't even doing anything. Even if you chose to stop him, if he was walking in the middle of the street, are you trying to tell me that justifies taking his life? That's right. It's so extreme. We have to do something. I really hope that this begins to build momentum to make a real social change in this country. And to add to that, um, you know, just today, just outside of St. Louis, Missouri, there was another Another young man. Another shooting. Another shooting. And, uh, you know, I I don't know if all the story has been uh, revealed yet. I'm sure they're, you know, they're looking into it. But this young man. Uh, they said that he, you know, stole some pastries or something mm-hmm. like that and, and a couple of energy drinks. Yep. Yeah, that's grounds for being shot, right? Right and there. Killed. It yeah. ranks right there with stealing cigars, I guess. You know, yeah. it, 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 and they said that he was going for his, his waistband or something, you know, like reaching for his, his waist. But he, he didn't have a weapon. Yep. You know, and like you said, Michelle, why can't you shoot 
to bring him down, to yes. disable him, you know? Yes. You don't have to shoot to kill when someone's holding, you know, a pastry in their hand. And what's crazy is they're getting shot full of holes. It's not like, okay, I shoot you one time to bring you down. It's like they're shooting to make sure that you're dead. Yeah, and the police are always saying, oh, I was in fear of my life. I was so afraid. You're afraid because of what, a pastry? Get a desk job. Thank you. And, and, and you know, this, this thing is just it, it, it's going from bad to, to worse. worse. It is. And earlier today I saw on, I think it was CNN, they were saying that the public relations nightmare on this thing and even the people skills of the, of the police officers involved, uh, there's a lot that uh, remains to be desired because of the fact that you have armed police officers with semi-automatic weapons, with rifles, shotguns, and everything yes. else, walking up on people who are unarmed, and this big show of force. Yep. It's like, what are you going to do, shoot you know, 25 people? And yeah. then afterwards, there's always an excuse uh, that, oh, I thought they were a criminal. Oh, I thought they were a felon. I was in fear of my life. Yeah. Why is there always an excuse of something? If you did something wrong, own up to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, uh, and we're going to talk, um, I'm sure uh, this is going to be coming up uh, as we move on through the program. Uh, I believe that the uh, state senator from Missouri, she, she got tied up on, a, on another interview. We're, we'll bring her on as, as soon as she's available. Uh, in the meantime, we are going to move on to our next guest. And uh, this guest is the Honorable Judge Michael Heavey. And uh, Judge Heavey uh, is, uh, it's, I think, basically the founder of uh, Judges for Justice. And uh, we were turned on to uh, Judge Heavey by uh, the, uh, the congresswoman uh, uh, from, from Washington. And mm-hmm. she said, reach out to the judge. Yeah. He will, uh, you know, he has a lot of things going on. And so uh, let's bring the judge on. Judge Heavey, are you there, sir? I am, Sam. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for taking time out of your schedule to be here. So uh, there's a lot going on in the news. I, 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 <laughs> that goes without saying, right? Uh, absolutely, and it's a really a sad situation all the way around in Missouri. So, I understand that we may get interrupted. So. And and you know, and uh, if the senator from Missouri comes on, then you will be more than welcome to 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 take, participate in that conversation as well, because we're going to. I know uh, you're committed to us for a little bit of time. So, uh, Judge, tell us a little bit about uh, Judges for Justice. Okay, uh, I retired as a. Superior Court judge in the state of Washington, King County, in uh, January of 2013, a little over a year and a half ago. And I and uh, another judge and some other people, the name Judges for Justice is a little bit of a misnomer. Originally, it was going to be Judicial Evaluation of Alleged Innocence. (laughs) And uh, that's just not catchy. Judges for Justice (laughs) is catchy, so we went with that. Just a little bit. (laughs) uh, But we went uh, with uh, that name. It's a little bit of a misnomer because we, we have retired FBI investigators on board uh, and a whole host of people that aren't judges and but what we're trying to do is go into cases of uh, alleged innocence, not have a dog in the fight, do a full investigation, bringing our investigative resources and analysis, bring in experts and DNA, false confessions, that sort of thing, 
And then when we feel we have uh, a uh, case of clear innocence like we we do in Idaho, uh, we're going to uh, promote that, to raise the public consciousness to a level that a mistake was made 18 years ago. When we do that, good things happen for uh, defendants that are wrongfully incarcerated. Suddenly judges will grant their motion for a new trial and that sort of thing. So that's what we're trying to do. We're just starting out. We're only a year and a half old, and uh, uh, we have been totally involved in a case in Idaho. And uh, uh, next we'll be going to Nevada, and Maine will be the next states that we're going to be looking at. So is is the organization, are you going to have like satellite um, operations basically in, in other states or, or is it just uh, located there? Who, the who knows where we're going to go? You know, uh, I, you know, five, ten years from now, hopefully we're kind of catch on. And yes, that would be the uh, would be the idea to. But we're right now, we're not nothing in Washington state. I'm just too close to. Washington State. Now, there probably are some wrongful convictions in this state, as there are in every state, but uh, we're trying to come in neutral, skeptical, and so that when we do make an opinion that there's a wrongful conviction, it carries a lot of weight with it. So uh, I know that when we were uh, in Washington, D.C., two or three weeks ago, and uh, Senator Cantwell had uh, spoken highly of you, uh, she stopped us in the hallway and, 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 and engaged in a conversation. And, and so that was, you know, that was a, a very good moment from the standpoint that the senator said, hey, I really uh, respect and believe in what you guys are doing, what a just cause is doing. So uh, reach out to Judge Heavey and use my name. And so, uh, <laughs> so again, <laughs> we, we appreciate you uh, uh, joining us on this. So now there is a, a, a case that is well known that everyone is uh, – familiar with, and that being the Amanda Knox case. What kind of connection do you have with that with that particular case? Uh, that's basically how I got started. Uh, she's a neighbor girl. Uh, she went to the same uh, Catholic high school in Seattle that my older daughter went to. They were classmates, and they carpooled to that school for four years. And so in 2007, she's arrested and... <clears throat> It didn't make sense to me, and then I asked my daughter, I said, uh, you know, what do you think of Amanda Knox? And she said, quote, Amanda is the most genuinely kind person I know. She does not have a mean bone in her body. And that statement was such a total disconnect with what I'd been hearing in the press that uh, I decided to get involved, and I contacted her parents, and they brought me in, and Every step of the way, it was just clear that it was a a, a, a wrongful conviction. Wow. And, and so, uh, go ahead. Uh, anyway, it, that's what started me on this recognition. I, uh, as of uh, May of this year, according to the National Registry of Exonerations, 1,368 men and women have been totally exonerated in this country since 1989 for serious felonies, homicide, rape, arson. 107 of them were on death row. And uh, 
uh, that's a startling statistic when you think about it. And uh, it's a registry kept by the University of Michigan and Northwestern University Law Schools. Uh, it's just very powerful to to uh, to consider that, gosh, we get it wrong all the time. And one of the things we're doing is looking at the psychology behind uh, the subconscious drivers that, that force uh, or that result in wrongful convictions. And if you look at some well-known ones like the Central Park jogger case where five New York teenagers were uh, convicted, uh, four of them allegedly confessed, and, you know, 13 years later or 12 years later, their convictions were vacated. The sperm DNA didn't match any of the five. But what started it was a horrific crime a jogger going through uh, Central Park at 10 p.m. Uh, on a, a nice night and suddenly brutally attacked, left for dead, and sexually assaulted. That sets in motion these horrific crimes like the West Memphis Three case, the uh, Jerry Hobbs case in Illinois. When you see the Amanda Knox case, the Meredith Kircher murder in Perugia, when you see two guys get in a bar fight, one guy shoots the other one, most of the community is not upset about that, except for the two families involved. But when uh, a woman is left with her throat slit, left in a pool of blood, and been sexually assaulted, it gets every single one of us in the gut. We're going to demand to remove this fear and this threat out of our life. And then strange things happen after that. All right, Judge Michael Heavey uh, with Judges for Justice is our guest this evening. Uh, Judge, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, let's talk a little bit more about the uh, psychology of, uh, that comes into play, and even you know, from the standpoint of uh, how judges might think uh, as they are looking at uh, certain situations. And, and so i got a few questions I want to pose to you uh, with the situation. Sure. With you were, that you were involved in, as well as you know, one of the cases that we're talking about uh, and handling with the IRP six. So uh, again, this is the Just Cause Coast to Coast. Our, our guest this evening, Judge Michael Heavey, uh, with Judges for Justice. Our phone number is three four seven eight three eight eight nine seven six three four seven eight three eight eight nine seven six. This is the Just Cause Coast to Coast. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Join a just cause in the fight against wrongful convictions, judicial injustice, misconduct, and corruption. Contact us at 855-529-4252 or at www.a-justcause.com. Hey, we've had some break-ins in my neighborhood, and there's a real suspicious guy. He looks black. Did you see what he was wearing? A dark hoodie, like a gray hoodie. I think the hoodie is as much responsible for Trayvon Martin's death as George Zimmerman was. Do I look suspicious? Do I look suspicious? Am I suspicious? 
This guy looks like he's up to no good or he's on drugs or something. It's raining and he's just walking around looking about. Are you following him? Yeah. Okay, we don't need you to do that. You have to recognize that this whole stylizing yourself as a gangster. You're going to be a gangster wannabe. Well, people are going to perceive you as a menace. I am here to continue to receive the fight camp. The fight camp. To protect. To preserve. To prosper. To prosper. I am here. I am here. I'm here to protect my children and my grandchildren. To fight. To fight. To write the next great American, great American movie. To give a voice to the voice to the voice. I'm here to I'm foster, here to foster a generation, generation of black, young black entrepreneurs. I am, I am here to live, to live. I am Trayvon Martin. 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 We are Trayvon Martin. It's time to wake up. This can happen to you. Just Cause Coast to Coast, where we bring you education, awareness, and information about judicial injustice. I'm Sam Thurman, along with Michelle Harris and Lynette Campbell. Uh, Ethel Cliff and Lamont are on assignment this week. For our listeners, if you'd like to join in on the conversation with a question or a comment, our phone number is 347-838-8976, 347-838-8976. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. Uh, also, uh, joining us this evening as our guest, uh, Judge Michael Heavey uh, with the Judges for Justice, an organization that's been around just about a year now. And uh, Judge Heavey, along with other uh, retired judges, uh, FBI investigators, and folks who can help uh, in uh, proving the fact that uh, folks who, who say they're innocent, they, they take on those type of cases. Again, welcome to the program, Judge Heavey. Thank you, Sam. It's good to be on with you. So prior to the break, uh, you were talking about uh, the psychology that comes into play and, and uh, when it comes to, you know, different actions and, and the way people perceive things and so forth. And, you know, we were talking just a little bit about the Amanda Knox case and, and your uh, relationship there. Now, I know you, you found yourself in a little bit of, uh, I, w- I won't say hot water, but uh, there was a little bit of scrutiny because of the fact that you looked at this particular situation, as you have uh, even stated here, uh, understanding who uh, Amanda was and, and uh, uh, her connection with your daughter in the school and so forth. And uh, I see here that, that, you know, folks tried to say that you didn't use the, the, the judgeship uh, in, in a proper way in supporting Amanda Knox. But you self-reported and Correct. said, hey, I, I'm not doing anything wrong here. You know, a judge did not advocate his private interest, and you were not. And so – how, how did you find yourself as far as, you know, uh, when you, when you uh, were in this situation, uh, obviously you weren't deterred. And so 
Uh, what what made you support in that manner, and then what made you take the stand that you took? Boy, that's a complicated question, but I was overwhelmed uh, at the uh, miscarriage of justice, uh, the gross injustice that was going on in Italy, the tremendous, uh, there's not an iota of evidence against her or her then-boyfriend, Raffaele, but there was a tremendous amount of demonization of Amanda, if you think you know something about Amanda, you probably don't, because you've probably learned it from the press, and a lot of it is fed by uh, the prosecution in Italy. She's really a very nice person, who's, by the way, living in in Manhattan now. <clears throat> uh, so uh, I saw that. I spoke out. But judges are... Or theoretically have a judicial conduct code that they're not supposed to speak out on certain things like pending cases. And so, uh, or to speak out where you would advance your personal interest or the personal interests of another. I finally came to the conclusion that I had, I was compelled to speak out about the injustice that was going on. Somebody needed to say something. Others were saying something, but I had personal knowledge, and I felt I had to speak out, and there were people at our State Judicial Conduct Commission who thought I was in error on doing that. Uh, to this day, I disagree, and I would do it again. Well, I would, I would just have to say that you are to be commended uh, for that uh, because of the fact that I believe that uh, when someone recognizes injustice, that they should speak up. I mean, Absolutely. that's the problem, is that people are not speaking up. And uh, I don't know it, uh, if it's because of their political aspirations, their career goals, or what have you. I mean, and, and I know you, you're not fam familiar uh, per se with the IRP6 case, but in this case, we have situations where uh, you got transcripts that are that are not being uh, uh, provided to the defendants. You got uh, biases that occurred in the courtroom as far as uh, expert witnesses not being allowed to testify. You got uh, other things that that are going on as far as uh, Fifth Amendment violations and so forth. And it's weird that the transcript pertaining to like the Fifth Amendment situation just doesn't exist. And people. I mean, in the federal in the federal system, and I know, uh, Judge, you're you're at the state level, but uh, at the at the federal system, you know, you, you got the whistleblower laws and everything, and and you know, I guess I I say all that to kind of go back to the comment you were talking about about the psychology and and what state of mind people are in, and I mean, don't you think that it would just be the right thing to do that if you worked in the court clerk's office and you knew that yeah. there was something that was going on, you have an obligation to go forward. A moral obligation. You do. Uh, well, absolutely. I, I think anybody that sees something wrong should stand up and, and say something. I, I can't agree with you more. Yeah, and I'm glad. I'm so glad that you as a judge are speaking out because you know the system. And granted, I know this was done in Italy, but you know case law, you know you know what's right and wrong. You've dealt with a lot of cases. And I can say I appreciate as a citizen that you have spoken out because I think too much 
Too many times things go wrong because we won't speak out as a society or as an individual to say, listen, something is wrong here. Something needs to change. And I love the fact that you created this organization and that you are trying to make a difference. I think it's great. And Judge Heavey, this Thanks. is Lynette. Um, Hi, Lynette. My comment, Hi. My comment is that if um, you as a judge can speak out, why can we not speak out also? We don't have the the the... I should say higher echelon, as you do. We don't have the um, the soapbox, which we can speak from like you do. But if we all band together and speak out against injustice, somebody has got to listen. Oh, I can't agree with you more. Uh, I really think you folks are doing a great uh, service to our country in speaking out about uh, the cases that you're passionate about. And, you know, Judge Heavey, we, we actually, uh, and I don't think he's, uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, uh, I don't think he's a part of uh, Judges for Justice yet, but uh, a retired federal uh, judge, Judge uh, the Honorable Judge H. Lee Serkin, uh, he's a retired federal district judge as well as an appellate judge. Uh, he was uh, on, on our program, uh, gosh, several weeks ago now, and he just took uh, to... Uh, the situation with the IRP6, and, and he just wrote one, uh, one article after another in Huffington Post as to how can you have a situation like this occur in our judicial system uh, with transcripts being missing and, and uh, people not due process not being uh, afforded uh, due process in a case. How can this be happening in, in, our, in, in the United States? And he broke it down even in one of his articles and, uh, and said that, uh, you know, for these ten reasons, this case should be uh, remanded and reversed. Now, you know, when you have a judge at that level, at the federal level, uh, speaking out, um, I wish there were more of you <laughs> because of the <laughs> fact that, you know, I think that, you know, judges like, like yourself and judges like uh, Judge Sarakin you know, I, I think people take note, and and it's that type of thing that's going to bring about change in in our country. I mean, uh, if if people don't do it in this manner, then you're going to have what's going on in Ferguson, uh, Missouri. That's true. I mean, yeah. people are going to take uh, they're, they're going to start saying, "Hey, I'm not getting uh, justice, so I'm going to you know exercise my own justice." And, and I'm sure, you know, anything that uh, Judges for Justice can do to uh, prevent that from happening, I'm sure you and your, your colleagues are, are going to be working toward that end. And it's all about, like you said, educated, education, but it's going to take all of us being activists to a certain extent, being uh, uh, advocates for reform and ensuring that people get their due process. I can't agree with you more, and I really admired uh, – I, I, I don't know him, but I really hope to meet him someday, Judge Sarakin. I assume he's a retired judge because uh, it's very difficult for sitting judges to speak out. <clears throat> yeah, he, he's a retired federal district judge, and, and then he uh, was uh, promoted to the uh, appellate judge level uh, as, as far as a federal judge is concerned. But, yeah, well, he, he, is, sounds, he is now retired. Uh, he sounds – quite uh, uh i'm sure he is eminently qualified and it's it's fantastic you have him on your side speaking out and so judge uh Hebe, if someone wanted to reach out to judges for justice 
and um, how would they go about doing that? And and what's the you know what's your intake process? What what qualifies a case to come to uh, judges for justice? Well, we have a website that's judges for www judgesforjustice.org and we have a contact us on there and every once in a while we get uh, contacted we're you know I don't want to make it sound bigger than we are we're really kind of just getting started on this whole thing but I've never heard anybody critical of the idea of a neutral impartial group uh, maybe even leaning towards the prosecution side of things and uh, law enforcement uh, coming in, taking a look at cases, and then seeing what they can do to help this reverse this uh, wrongful conviction and get these people out of prison. But uh, to answer your question, uh, there's a contact us. We generally deal in cases uh, that uh, the three that we have in line, uh, the Chris Tapp case in Idaho, Kirsten Lobato case in uh, Nevada and the Tony Sanborn case in Maine are uh, underlying crimes are pretty horrific and as I said those kind of uh, uh, those kind of cases they just uh, they set in motion some human subconscious forces that uh, can get pretty ugly so it's uh, it's fear. It's uh, it puts the community in fear, uh, and uh, and bad things happen when people are in fear. All right. Uh, so uh, as far as uh, and I'll give that out again. Judgesforjustice.org. Again, www.judgesforjustice.org. Uh, and joining us is uh, Judge Michael Heavey with Judges for Justice. And uh, so if, if uh, any of our listening audience uh, would like to reach out to the judge, you can go there uh, to, the, to their website. And uh, we appreciate you joining us this evening and sharing some thoughts uh, with regard to uh, what your organization is doing. And, and uh, again, we appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to be with us. Uh, I'm sure this will not be the last time that we're going to be talking with you. Uh, and so any, any closing thoughts or any, any closing comments that you'd like to make? Uh, just keep up your good works. Uh, uh, you're doing a tremendous service to the uh, cause of justice in this country, and uh, I can just say thank you. Thank you for having me on. Excellent, excellent. Again, that's Judge Michael Heavey. We're going to take another quick break here, and uh, when we come back, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, some of the other things that's going on, and, and uh, we're going to see if uh, we're going to be able to get the, the Missouri senator on as well. This is a just cause, coast to coast, where we bring you education, awareness, and information about judicial injustice. Our phone number, 347-838-8976, 347-838-8976. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. astronaut, be a doctor. I always wanted to be a police officer. And there's a strong sense of pride in being a police officer. Just to stop people from the heck 
composition of the prison population in the United States is very different from the population at large. If people are worried about inequality in America today, I think this deserves more attention in the discussion. Racial inequality in the criminal justice system gets ignored because it doesn't affect most people. In 2010, over 1.6 million people were in state and federal prisons within the United States. So 497 out of every 100,000 Americans were in jail about half of 1%. Less than 1%. That doesn't seem very large, but when you separate that population by race, you recognize that the personal effects of the criminal justice system are very unequally shared throughout our societies. Whites make up 64% of the total population, but only 31% of the incarcerated population. Blacks represent 14% of society, but 36% of the prison population. Hispanics are 16% of America, but 24% of the American prison population. Less than 1 in 100 Americans are currently in jail, but for some races, genders, and age groups, that ratio is a lot larger. For example, if you're young, black, and male, it's closer to about 1 in 4. That means you'd have a higher probability of going to jail than of getting married or going to college. These results are unequal and problematic, as poor black communities lack so many of their members. But what can be done? The causes of this trend are undoubtedly complicated and multi-causal. But there is reason to suggest that part of the blame is our criminal justice system itself. In the ways police officers enforce laws, in the ways that laws are written and prosecuted, and more. In many cases, it is not overt racism by individual actors. Many police officers, prosecutors, and judges are undoubtedly trying to be fair and trying to do the right thing. But economics can explain how unequal enforcement of the criminal law happens anyway. This is because the political and bureaucratic structure of the criminal justice system creates perverse incentives. The formal laws surrounding drug prohibition, for example, are written as if to be colorblind. But people with different levels of wealth face different costs and benefits to participating in the drug trade. Different groups consume different drugs at different rates. And lastly, those groups are politically represented in very different quantities. Thus, they are arrested and incarcerated at very different rates. How could minority groups hope to use the political process to fix inequality when they are systematically over-incarcerated and disenfranchised? Despite noble intentions, politics 
often does not affect the basic incentives of costs and benefits faced by political or citizen actors. We might need a new approach to social change if we are going to address these problems. We definitely need more study into the causes of inequality, and we should admit that radical changes might be both necessary and preferable to the status quo. Minority and youth participation in juries is extremely low to non-existent. The incidents of youth and minority offenders faced with trials have exploded. Youth and minorities are not being represented as they should be. We must represent for people to get fair trials. If you acquire a state ID or driver's license, it allows you to register to vote. And it allows you to become eligible for jury service. If you're 18, a U.S. citizen with a state ID or driver's license and registered to vote, you're eligible to be called for jury duty. If called and selected, make it your duty to serve. We can't get justice without you. Change. 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 Change the face of justice. Check your local county or state jury service website for further details. The opinions and views expressed by guests and callers on A Just Cause Coast to Coast do not necessarily reflect those of A Just Cause or A Just Cause Coast to Coast. Just Cause Coast to Coast, where we bring you education, awareness, and information about judicial injustice. Our phone number this evening, 347-838-8976. 347-838-8976. I'm Sam Thurman, being joined by Michelle Harris and Lynette Campbell. Cliff, Ethel, and Lamont are on assignment this week. And, uh, again, want to uh, say to Judge Heavey, we appreciate him taking time out of his schedule and talking a little bit about the Judges for Justice you know, if we had more judges like uh, Judge Heavey and then also, you know, uh, Judge uh, H. Lee Sarakin, uh, you know, we need judges like, like these to be out in the forefront yeah. talking about the things that, that need to change. I mean, they, they, know, they know what's going on in the, in the court systems, and, and they know that, uh, that the court systems get it wrong. That's right. That's right. And we're glad that more and more, I've noticed more and more in the media that they've talked about judges that, that are showing regret, that they feel like maybe they did not make the right decision at the time. And the fact is, is if th- that occurs, we need to fix that. What's amazing to me is I find such a um, resistance from prosecutors and judges to admit that they're wrong. They're human. That's right. You know what I'm saying? Even if I didn't knowingly do, do it wrong, I mean, you got some judges out there that need to just be taken off the bench. Okay, but even the good ones, if I've done something, there has to be a a process in place to fix that. That's right. That's right. And, you know, when you talk about uh, the prosecutors as well, this thing with blanket immunity. um, And and I got to say, like we always say here on the program, that we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. So we know that there are some excellent judges out out Mm -hmm. there, i.e. Judge Heavey, i.e. Judge H. Lee Serkin. 
and there are a host of others. Yeah. There are a lot of other prosecutors who are out there who take their job very seriously, and they, you know, are doing what the what the uh, charter of their office uh, requires them to do. Yeah. And, and, but at the same time, you know, uh, when and and folks like this, when they recognize that something is wrong, they're standing out That's and they're right. saying it. They do. Then you have the other ones that are out there who are saying who who have career goals or whatever. And it becomes a numbers game that I want this conviction at any, any cost. cost. Yes. And that's the kind of thing that needs to be changed. And uh, like Judge Hebe, he was sharing the, the numbers as far as on the National Registry of Exonerations. They just recently updated that. And it's saying now currently 1,409 exonerations. Now, but that's 1,409 people, too many. Yeah, that's right. How many more are sitting in jail languishing and just they they say that they're innocent and it is obvious that they're innocent. They're not supposed to even be in prison, yet no one's taking any heed to them. And I was thinking about that number and what, like you're saying, all the people that are in prison, these 1,400 people probably had to fight tooth and nail to get justice. What I noticed is a lot of people that get wrongfully convicted, nobody wants to hear them. They are pushed aside, and you have to fight tooth and nail to get your issue addressed. When the fact is, is if it was a just system and there was checks and true balances, they could say, hey, if something's been done wrong, we're going to make that right. right. So I wonder, in reality, if it wasn't such a struggle to fight for true justice, this number probably be probably 10 times, times to at least. At least. Well, and, and, you know, there have been studies done as well that showed that, how many people who were on death row yeah. are, innocent. are innocent or were innocent and still were executed? Yes. And, and the thing, like you're saying, Michelle, it, it takes way too long. Yes. I mean, I'm looking at the National uh, Registry of Exonerations right now. And, uh, and you know, here's one, uh, here's one situation. Uh, Joseph uh, Lamont Abbott, in his case, he was convicted in 1995. He was exonerated in 2009. Here's another one. Uh, with uh, uh, Mr. Legino uh, Acero, he was convicted in 1994, exonerated in 2006. Anthony Adams, 1996 to 2001. And then they're, then they're the ones that are just way out there. Lawrence Adams, convicted in 1974, exonerated in 2004. And why how, something's to, wrong with that. Why does it have to take so long? And the thing is, and, and you know, we've talked about it as, as far as the definition of exoneration as well. It doesn't fit because, yeah. you know, you can have a gentleman uh, or, a, or a lady. I mean, you know, they're, they're a wrongful conviction across the, across the board. But that term exoneration, uh, it doesn't fit as far as what actually happens. You know, they can get out of prison and be proven the fact that through, through DNA or whatever the situation mm -hmm. may be, that they are not the perpetrator. Yep. Well, they are uh, released from prison, set on their way, and in many cases, a majority of the cases, they uh, are, don't have the same types of programs available to them like education, housing assistance, yep. uh, and, and so forth and so on. They, they don't have a halfway house to go to. Yeah. You know, but if you were convicted of, uh, of a crime – and you're getting ready to be paroled, then you're going to a halfway house. You've got programs, education programs. You've got all kinds of other programs that are available to you. These folks, they have to fight tooth and nail 
to get any kind of restitution for the fact that you just took 28 years or or 25 or 30 or whatever the number of years it is that you took all these years away from me. And And then they're going to fight them on their exoneration, even if they've cleared their name. It's like you have to fight to completely clear your name so that the records are expunged or because people are still looking at, well, weren't you convicted? It's like they spread it all over the news that you were guilty, but now when you were actually wrong and I was never guilty, it's very quiet. Yep. It's very quiet. And I thought about this list. How many people on this list of exonerees died before they were exonerated? That's right. That spent their life in prison for a crime they did not commit. That's right. You know, I want to be exonerated. I, I want my name cleared, but can you do it while I'm living? Yes. And, and you know, uh, and the other thing, too, that people do not like, to, and we talked about it just briefly uh, earlier, where, where the racial disparity yeah. that comes into play uh, when, uh, when it comes to this, this kind of thing. And, and Cliff, on the program the other evening, he, he brought up uh, uh, an article that the research team found here at Just Cause Radio, and it's uh, on Huffington Post, and it says, when the media treats white suspects and killers better than black victims. Do, do you get that? Victims. Yeah. yeah. White suspects and killers better than black victims. So, uh, uh, Michelle, you mentioned earlier about the uh, the shooting in Denver. And so here it says, Theater shooting suspect was brilliant science student. Wow. Now, he's the killer. Yeah. He's the killer. Now, they compare that to the Michael Brown uh, uh, story where Michael Brown is the victim. He got shot down in the middle of the street. But he's a suspect. Uh, No, no. He's the victim. But the the way they worded it is police... Say Michael Brown struggled with officer before shooting. Right. That's what I mean. They're trying to insinuate like he was a suspect. And the fact was he wasn't. Right. Right. And so uh, it's so until we really deal with that issue in this country, we try to shove it under the carpet. But the numbers are there. Yeah. The proof is there. Yeah. And it's troubling that we as a society, it doesn't matter if another black man's been killed. the, The way society treats it's like, so what? Well, it does matter. Yeah. These are, our, these are our kids. These are young people that have an opportunity to contribute in our society. And so we all should be treated equal until we come to that point where no child should be uh, killed in the street like a dog and we not do something. It's going to continue. And, and, Michelle, you know, to that point, it's like when you do have African-American men or men of color, you know, it could be African-American, it could be uh, Latino, uh, what have you, when they do take the steps to better themselves, to put themselves in a position to make an impact in their community, to make an impact in business, then it's still held against them. Sure is. The IRP IRP 6, you got five black, one white. You got Gary Walker, David Banks, Dave Zappolo, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, uh, Demetrius Harper. Dave Zappolo is, is, is the white guy in the bunch. Yeah. But he's a brother just in the same, but the other... Uh, the other five, uh, Gary Walker had a had a uh, presidential appointment to the Air Force Academy. Yep. He didn't finish at the Air Force Academy because of his eyesight. He wanted he really wanted to fly. But he got in. But he got his. He sure but did. then he he went on to still get his uh, degree in technology. He is the mastermind behind the case investigative life cycle software, that silk software that drew so much attention from state, federal, and local law enforcement agencies. Yep. 
You also have uh, David Banks. He graduated top of his class in in the Navy uh, Air Traffic Control School. Top yep. of his class. And they're always trying to make black men out like they, you know, like we're ignorant. And, exactly. Yes. And, and there are a lot of smart. There's just as many smart black men as there are smart white men. And, and then you got Kendrick Barnes. I mean, you're talking, in, in some of these cases, you got uh, people that they're just naturally brilliant. Yes. Kendrick and Demetrius, they, you know, they understand technology through and through. And with Kendrick, I mean, he was always reading something about, he, he knew the latest and the greatest as far as technology is concerned. Dave Zappolo, another technology specialist. He, he's not black, but it was held against him because of the fact that with them. He, he was with associated them. with them. There you go. Yeah. Built by association. Absolutely. And so, you know, even though when you do have situations yes. where uh, men of color are bettering themselves, then someone else tries to make an issue of it when they're doing business the same way the white guy standing next That's to right. him. That's right. And, you know, it, 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 and, and it's troubling. It, it absolutely it's is. Very much troubling. And, and, what, and you want people to open their eyes and see it for what it, it really is. is. You can't stick your head in the sand That's and right. pretend that there is not an issue when there is an issue. And what's troubling is they were working to help our country, black, white, everybody. That software was about protecting Americans. Absolutely. And you're going to put them in prison and they're completely innocent? Not partially, but completely innocent. And we're going to talk more about yeah. this when we come back from this break because of the fact that uh, when you put, it, put them side by side with, with uh, people who are in the same industry that they're in, they were doing nothing different than anybody That's else. Right. That's right. Why true. are they in prison? That's right. This is the Just Cause Coast to Coast where we bring you education, awareness, and information about judicial injustice. Our phone number is 347-838-8976. 347 We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. At the inception of A Just Cause Coast to Coast, the host and crew decided to devote a segment of each show to an exoneree moment. The purpose of the exoneree moment was to outline the case and highlight the circumstances that led to a wrongful conviction. AJC Radio also wanted to highlight the successes and failures of the justice system, understanding why the system failed and what ultimately turned the tide and cleared their name. We wanted to hear the personal first-hand accounts. They were appalling, emotional, astounding, and overwhelming. Lives devastated by the system. After many interviews, we discovered that many of the stories we outlined didn't quite fit the term exoneree or exonerated. Most of the people who shared their stories were released from the building, but not from the system. They struggled to get their records expunged and clear their names, find suitable employment and housing, obtain restitution from the state, and reconnect with their families and friends and it hardly fit the definition of exonerated, which means to free from guilt of blame, to clear from a charge of guilt or fault, to exculpate. Release conveys to free from confinement, bondage, obligation, or pain, to free from anything that restrains. The spirit of the exoneree moment lives on, 
to tell the personal stories of those whose lives have been devastated by the justice system, but we've renamed the segment to a profile of the wrongly convicted. These are the stories of lives taken and returned, but must be rebuilt, adapted, reestablished, and transformed. The profile of a wrongly convicted. Stanley Rice was sentenced to 100 years in prison for the abduction, rape, and deviant sexual assault of a 32-year-old Chicago woman on September 8, 1982. Rice, then 28, was arrested the day after the crime and spent the next 31 years behind bars before he was exonerated and freed in 2013. The victim, Karen Byron, was white, testified she was walking to a liquor store when several African-American men offered her a ride, which she had accepted. The men beat, severely burned her with hot metal objects, and repeatedly raped her. When she finally was released, Byron stumbled into a gas station where an attendant called the police. She was treated for burns covering more than 80% of her body. Police arrested Rice and three other men, Michael Fowler, Rodney Benson, and Lee Holmes. Byron did not identify Rice, but she did identify the other three men, all of whom pled guilty pursuant to a plea agreement. Fowler was sentenced to four years in prison, and Benson and Holmes each to only 30 months probation. Rice was charged based on his confession. Before his trial, he made a motion to suppress that confession because the police officers tortured him to get it. In the basement of police headquarters, after he told them he was not involved, they repeatedly beat him in the head, arms, kneecaps, and groin with a 16-inch flashlight and a piece of rubber. A physician and paramedic who examined him the day of his arrest testified his injuries were consistent with his torture allegation, but the police officers denied it, and Judge Thomas R. Fitzgerald denied Rice's suppression motion. At trial, in addition to introducing his alleged confession, prosecutors called two eyewitnesses, Bobby Joe Williams and Kenneth Lewis, who testified they'd seen Rice rape the victim and burn her with hot spoons. Although there was no physical evidence linking him to the crime and the victim had not identified him, the jury still convicted Rice. An appeal was filed and a public defender, Heidi Lynn Lambro, was assigned to represent him. After the appeal was denied, Lambro believed so strongly in his innocence, she continued to work on the case on her own time. New life was breathed into the case on July 9, 2006, when Special Prosecutor Edward J. Egan investigated the police torture. He found two of the officers, Digman and Byrne, had tortured suspects to extract confessions during the 1980s. Prosecutors appealed to the Supreme Court. One witness, Bobby Joe Williams, recanted his trial testimony, providing an affidavit that Dignan and Byrne had tortured him, forcing him to falsely implicate Rice. Two of the men who pled guilty to the crime, Fowler and Benson, also stated that Byrne had two of the men who pled guilty to the crime, Fowler and Benson, also stated neither Rice nor Kenneth Lewis, the second eyewitness who had claimed to have seen Rice assault the victim, had been present during the crime. On February 2, 2012, the Supreme Court ordered a hearing on Rice's torture claim. 
Rice's exoneration followed a landmark decision that the Illinois State Court handed down in his case in February 2012, holding that the use of a physically coerced confession as evidence of guilt at a criminal trial is never a harmless error. On December 12, 2013, Rice's conviction was vacated on the ground that unrebutted torture evidence and a key prosecution witness had recanted his trial testimony. The prosecution then dismissed the charges, and after 31 years in prison, Rice, now 59, was released. This has been a profile of the wrongfully convicted with the radio. A Just Cause Coast to Coast, where we bring you education, awareness, and information about judicial injustice. I'm Sam Thurman with Michelle Harris and Lynette Campbell. Cliff, Epple, and Lamont are on assignment this week. Our phone number, 347-838-8976, 347-838-8976. I want to go back to that conversation we were having just before the break and looking at the fact that, you know, uh, the, the, the racial disparity. Yeah. And And, again, like I was saying, you know, people – uh, want to stick their head in the sand and pretend as though that there are no issues when there are issues. And like we were talking about with the IRP-6, you have six gentlemen, five black, one white, and they were doing things according to the way the the system says you should. Get That's your right. education, you know, That's get right. a job, and then if you have uh, aspirations, start a business and so forth and so on. Now, exactly. in the IRP-6 case, you got a an IT company yeah. developing software for law enforcement, the case investigative lifecycle software. That's right. Developed by Gary Walker. Now, in this situation, uh, IRP was contacted by the Department of Homeland Security. Yeah. And what bothers me is they were doing such a phenomenal job. You know what I'm saying? I mean, this software is going to protect all of us. Nobody wants another 9-11. Absolutely. This country was devastated because of 9-11. We all felt the effects. And so for, for these gentlemen to get out there and work hard and work for 10 years to build that application so we can be, go to bed uh, safe at night. Absolutely. So we didn't have to worry about them coming over and catching us off guard and us not sharing information so that we know people are actually trying to fly planes and not learn how to land them. Now, why was that not important enough for everybody to know? And so for them to build an application to say, listen, we're going to pull all of this information together so that we can be effective. Right. They're smart guys. There is not a one of those men that is not smart. So for them to have done that, and then for you to turn around and try to criminalize them trying to build a business to help our country is insane. It, is abs- I, it just is insane to me. How you can criminalize someone who has debt. They criminalize that for the IRP-6? You better rest assured they're coming for us next. Oh, they are. Well, and the thing is, Michelle and, and, and Lynette, is the fact that when you have a grand jury that says this is a debt collection case. Exactly. When you have the FBI, there's actually a letter from the FBI there is. that said uh, to one of the, the, the debtors that, you know, yeah, you may have a complaint of, against this company as far as them not paying their debt, but that's all it is. It is debt. 
and they and, were going to pay it. And you need to. And this is a civil matter, not a criminal matter for the FBI. So how is it that all of a sudden you have twenty armed agents? At the IRP Solutions building, isn't that the number of agents they send for drug dealers? That's that's what we've heard. Mm-hmm. That 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 kind of that that kind of raid is reserved for you know drug lords and, and drug kingpins and that type of thing. Now something that happened even in, in in that raid, and we haven't talked about it in a while. But you know when you look at the racial tensions in the in the country right now, mm-hmm. you know Ferguson ha- has raised some serious issues now you know it's weird a little town of 20,000 population and a black boy gets killed uh, a young black man gets killed oh yeah in yeah. the middle of the street and people get they hit the streets and say you know wait a minute this is gonna have to enough stop is enough. they got to the point where enough was enough absolutely and so, we all need to get to that same point where enough is enough when when it comes you're going to imprison black men for doing what they're supposed to do, for bettering themselves, for trying to better the country, and for trying to better our security, enough Absolutely. is enough. That's right. And, and you know, when, when IRP was raided, now, you talk about racial disparity. Now, other companies that have been raided for whatever reason there may be, you know, uh, you look at Enron and, and some of the other, you know, yeah. corporations. Uh, you know, look at some of the uh, – in the financial industry. Oh. That – a lot of that just <laughs> – you know, it was just horrendous. And not, almost nothing has been done. And billions exactly. and billions of dollars. They pay fines, yeah. and they don't come in with, you know, uh, 20, 20 agents. Especially – I mean, that was a greater than one-for-one one ratio. There were not even 20 people in the building at IRP. Yeah. Now – the agents take all of the African-American employees and put them in the break room yeah. and have guards on each door. You're at work. You're not coming strapped down with, you know, with sidearms yeah. at, at the work. Most, you might have a uh, nail file, but that's pretty much it. Yeah, it's, and so, you know, it, it's ridiculous it the way they got treated. And what bothers me is the fact is they, they told them up front as a new company, Listen, we are working. They talked about the um, prospects that they had. They understood they were going to get paid. The contract companies were going to get paid as soon as they sold the software. They were actively engaged in working toward that goal to just turn around and all of a sudden say, hey, oh, well, now all of a sudden I'm going to criminalize this. If you criminalize debt, we're all in trouble. We sure Absolutely. are. Absolutely. And so to, for how is a business – there is no business out there. You're not going to tell me there is not any business out there, unless you are independently wealthy, that you're not going to incur some debt. All of them have debt. And so how all of a sudden is it uh, a crime for IRP6 to have some debt, but not for everybody else? But, Michelle, I'm telling you that, that uh, and, and again, we haven't talked about this part of it in a while, but the way that uh, it, it just raises that issue again. Of again. The way... African-Americans or people of color are treated versus, you know, their counterparts. And to me, the black man can't catch a break, okay? First, you you, um, criticize me if I don't have a job. You won't give me one, right? You won't give me equal share to get out in the workforce and get a job. So you're going to, you got a problem with that. You don't want me in the street. Well, now these smart black men have jobs. They are smart, intelligent. They are taking care of business. They're taking care of their families. And then you're going to turn around and criticize them for that. And, and, you know, one, one of the FBI agents who was in the raid at IRP Solutions actually made this comment to Gary Walker and to David Banks, I believe that's who, who the comment was made to, that if a, if a white woman came here and wanted a job, 
could she get hired? What kind of comment is that? And, and, and whoever that was, uh, they did. You're talking to her right now. That's right. I was up at IRP Solutions, and they were doing a phenomenal job. And so I resent the insinuation that somehow they wouldn't hire. They're not the racist. You are. There you go. And, and For to make a comment like that, you got a problem. And the, even, the, again, to have all the African-American employees in the and break room. And shuttle them in the, yes. And then when they left or got ready to leave, called them back and had them search, you know, searching their purses, their wallets, their briefcases, everything. And then the white employees got to go home. Got to go home. They sure did. And said, oh, if you need anything, just let us know. Here's my card. Yeah. And and then uh, one of the other uh, com- uh, one of the other agencies that IRP was was working with was NYPD. Yeah. NYPD things were going. I mean, it was very uh, well. Very well. I mean, yeah. Gary and David, the way that they the way that Gary designed the software, he designed it to where it could be customized uh, without a whole lot of effort. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're talking about again, brilliant uh, guys who uh, had had been in technology for years. And they'd seen the failures. I mean, they, they, you know, working in corporate, you see all oh, the yes. downfall. You see how people That's right. do Waste not money. get things done. Yep. And one of the, the mantra within IRP6 or within IRP solutions was make it happen, you know, yeah. get it done. Mm-hmm. And so it was one of those things of you're going to get it done and you're going to get it done quicker than anyone and better than anyone. That's right. So, yeah. you know, Gary, he was answering the mail he, in a sense as far as, if someone said, hey, can you make it do this? Uh, the Department of Homeland Security said, can you put a federal face on it? Mm-hmm. Okay, we can do that. Mm-hmm. That's Gary right. went about to do that to ensure that it had a federal face on it and that it had the robustness, if you will, mm-hmm. to sustain uh, and be able to support the demands of an application that would be used at the federal level. Well, and the same thing even with NYPD. NYPD you know, they asked for certain modifications, and at that time, and folks can look this up, there's the Real-Time Crime Center that was a new initiative at the NYPD at the time that uh, IRP was talking to them. The NYPD was asking IRP, hey, can, can you make your software do this, 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 and this? Well, there was the sergeant that was in charge of the technology division there at NYPD. He actually made a comment that he didn't understand why IRP had not closed business yet That's right. at NYPD. He made a point of saying that he didn't know if it was because they were black Perhaps. or whether they were small. Yeah. Now, the fact that he even put that comment in there yeah. to say, well, I don't know if it was because they were black uh, or maybe because they were small. Because they're not IBM? Yeah. That too. That too. But, you know, it, it's like when, when you have someone that's, within an agency mm-hmm. who handles technology and makes a comment like that and, and, and is providing feedback that, you know, everyone that sees this, uh, uh, you know, they really like what they see. That was the same comment they got uh, from uh, Department of Homeland Security. Yep. Right after one of the demos, the program manager there at Department of Homeland Security came out and said the FBI, Secret Service, Federal Air Marshals, uh, TSA, Immigration and Customs Enforcement folks, mm-hmm. they like what they see. Mm-hmm. And you want to know why? Because this actually worked. It worked. After they actually spent all that money, what was it, the Sentinel? What was the other Sentinel, one? Sentinel, yeah, and, and the virtual case file. Yes, and yeah. I'm thinking, okay, the government wasted what? what was it uh, a billion dollars? A billion dollars. A billion. Uh, with a B. A B. They wasted a billion dollars of our money. They should have been excited because Silk Software actually worked. Yep. 
and they didn't spend well, let, uh, let, you know, a the, billion dollars. Let's take the ED off of there. Works. Silk software. That's, yeah, works. that's right. It, that, you're right because it's still out there, and they're not getting it until they pay for it. There you go. And, right. and, you know, and, and then even, again, going back to the grand jury thing. You know, why is it that a grand jury can say that these guys are, you know, it's, it's, it's debt. They aren't doing anything wrong. Why can't the court or the, the assistant U.S. attorney take that for what it's worth? Exactly. Why do you have to repackage it and come back and then represent something to another grand jury and don't call witnesses who can really say what this company exactly. is about? Mm-hmm. That's what bothered me. That's what bothered me, that they could go in through the back door and have one lying witness, and then all of a sudden it starts all over again. When the fact was is the first grand jury had enough information that they understood what the issue was. It's a debt collection case. That's right. So how is that? And that bothers me. We, that needs to be fixed. Because and that tells me, well, what did they say? We can indict a ham sandwich. Right. Now, if you've got enough arrogance to say that, something is wrong with this system. That's right. Because you shouldn't be able, you shouldn't be able to indict or go after people that are innocent. And I de- that's what troubles me so much about the judicial system is that there's, there's no real justice. It's not about finding out the truth, what really happened. This is like you said. I just want another notch in my belt to say I got another win. Yep. And so it, it's very disturbing. It's very disturbing. And, you know, and, and if you look at another aspect of the IRP6 case, even during trial, why is it that – you have an expert witness that the that Judge Arguello agreed with uh, Prosecutor uh, Assistant U.S. Attorney Matthew Kirsch in saying that, well, no, he shouldn't uh, he shouldn't be allowed to testify. And I'm talking about Andrew Alberelli. Yeah. That's right. That no, he why should, not? I mean, this is it, 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 either about uh, justice or it's exactly. about injustice. That's exactly. True. And so justice says that. Uh, I'm going to allow the defense to present a case that shows that they are not guilty. And actually, the way the system is supposed to work is that you're innocent until, you're proven, innocent until guilty. proven guilty. It's like the other side has to prove that you're guilty. Yeah. And as a juror, how am I supposed to make a solid decision without hearing both sides? I don't want to hear just one part of the story. And I think they came back and asked, well, was there more evidence to present? Yep, you're right. Because the guys didn't get an opportunity to, to show their side. And that is, I mean, from the start to the finish, this is such a disturbing case. And the more I've learned, not just with the IRP-6, but the whole purpose of a just cause being built is how many people this is happening to. Right. And if we turn a blind eye to it, rest assured, it's going to come knock on our door. It will definitely come back Be- to it. It is, because there's so many people. This is not just an isolated instance. This stuff is happening across the country. And what, what's troubling is you have people losing their lives, 20 and 30 years of their lives. Family members have died. Children have grown up. Parents have passed away. They've lost all that time with their loved ones. And we're not concerned. That doesn't trouble me that you see people suffering like this. This is a cold world, and we need to wake up. Because I'm telling you, if we turn a blind eye, somebody's going to turn a blind eye to me. That's true. If, if I don't look at you and say, you know what, I need to do something for you, considering the fact, what if it was me? And I'm telling you, that's why it keeps escalating. That's why the judges are getting away with what they're getting away with, because they've been doing it forever. Yeah, and because no one's we called won't them. Stop them. That's right. Exactly. That's why I was thinking about a revolution. I was reading that. 
And to me, that's what we need. And I'm not talking about going killing people. That's not what I'm talking about. A revolution is a fundamental change in power or organizational structures that takes place in a relatively short period of time. And so, I mean, Gandhi did it. Martin Luther King Jr. did it. There are ways for us as a society to say, you know what, we are not going to stop until this is changed. And a permanent change, not just getting enough for, for the moment while the media is on it, like poor Trayvon Martin and his family. I'm thinking that mother's son is still dead. He sure is. And what's crazy to me is not only can the cops get away with it, killing our, our youth, but people on, people on the street. Yeah. That man followed him. I'm thinking, take your butt home. Why are you trying to follow this kid? And, and he, then, was, he was told to go home. Exactly. And, but you know what? It's okay. You can kill our kids. And you know what? We're, we're not going to. We'll, we'll make a little noise for a little while. But the fact is, that's why Michael Brown is dead today. To exactly. Me. Yes, that's true. Because we did not say, you know what? Enough is enough with Trayvon Martin. And now what are we going to do with Michael Brown gone? Are we going to wait? Is there going to be another John Doe down the, you know, a few weeks later? Mm-hmm. Because I'm telling you, everybody, I mean, it's like it's open season on our young black men. It is. I'm thinking everybody can shoot and kill you. Unarmed, armed, no, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that you weren't bothering anybody you walking down the street. And I'm telling you, we need to be outraged as a, 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 our country to say, you have got to stop killing our children. That's it true. is not okay. I don't care if you're a cop or not. You better, we need to get out there. What am I going to do to ensure that our children can go to sleep at night and I don't have to worry as a parent that, you're, that my kid can get killed on the street? I'm telling you, we, that to me, that's why we need a revolution. Yes, we do. It is good to have marches, and that's a start. But to me, a revolution says I'm not ch- stopping until, until a there is a change. We've got to get these crooked judges out of here. We've got to get these crooked prosecutors. But the fact remains, they're not, the other people aren't going to do it because you're going to tell my business. Mm-hmm. Because I've done something I shouldn't have done. That's right. You know what you do with that? That's when you clean house. Let's get all that crap out of here and let's start fresh. And to me, that's what a revolution does. It does. It you're says, you know someone what? who's willing to clean house, though. Exactly. You need somebody with some guts some good. and some cojones to say, you know what? <laughs> I'm not stopping. <laughs> I mean, it is. And it is what it is. We need somebody. And that's what troubled me about President Obama. Because I, to me, I voted for him. Yes. And I thought, to me, you have failed miserably. You have failed miserably. I'm thinking that... Um, I'm my brother's keeper. Yeah. Do you really believe that President Obama? I'm not convinced because to me, I haven't seen him do anything. I'm thinking he won't even. He's a black man. He knows what it feels like. And the fact is, a lot of people don't want him in office and don't plan on ever uh, uh, voting for another black president. That's you true. better get in, take care of business, While and you get can. out. While you can. You got a very short time left. You got a second chance. Now I'm asking you, as a as a citizen, do something. That was one last thing, and I promise I'm going to be quiet. No, go for okay. it. Go for it. You got me going, Sam. This is what bothered me when um, the whole thing with Ferguson, uh, Missouri. Um, I was reading an article out online and how the president was saying, well, we need to reflect. And I thought, you know what? I don't need you to reflect. I needed you to get up off your butt and do something. That's right. There's only so much reflection until I have to get up and make a decision. He has the power and the influence, people listen to him, whether they like him or not, whether they like his politics or not, right is right. 
So what I'm trying to understand as a black man, why are you not shouting from the rooftop? You're not going to keep killing our kids. Now, what if they go and kill Sasha or whatever his other daughter's name is? If they gun your children down, are are you going to say something then? We need the people in power with influence to say, you know what, we are going to make a difference, are so quiet. They are very quiet. You have all these little small groups of people being devastated, devastated by injustice. And you've got a black president that says, we need to reflect. And they have the nerve to wonder, why are you so upset? You're upset. We are upset because they're killing our children. Exactly. And, and, you, know, so, and you know why yeah. your comments uh, are so impactful, Michelle, is oh, because Lord. you... <laughs> Are you going to tell it? Are you going to tell well, it? Well, you already did. Did I? Yeah, you did because you are a white woman. I am. And, and I'm, I'm pissed off. I'm going to go ahead and be honest with you. <laughs> Let's go to the phones. We got, we got a caller. J.D., are you there? Yes, yes, I'm there. I'm here. What's your question or comment, calling because, um, I was calling because uh, I heard you say that uh, they have put black people in a room and were, did they have a warrant for them to be put into a, a room for those black people that they put in the room? No, they didn't. There was no warrant to be put okay. in a room. I mean, the warrant, the warrant uh, that the was... The warrant said uh, that I can hold you. A warrant says I can hold you. They didn't have a warrant to say, okay, you have to stay here because I'm holding you. Th- that is correct. When they didn't have a warrant. They, they, have, they have a warrant. They have a warrant for certain people, for they have a they have to have people's name on there that they're gonna keep and hold. They also have to have a property that they're gonna search. So and you know, they were searching people. And, and JD, yeah. when they when when they presented that warrant, that warrant that warrant said that they were coming to IRP Solutions to review uh, uh, financial records. That they were coming to to get financial records, and just to you know Correct. for. for for you to to understand, uh, they did everything but get financial records. They went around the entire company and imaging and basically copying the data from every computer in the building. I'm talking literally every computer and every server uh, that that was on every desk. And Cliff, uh, a lot of times, will say even the janitor's computer. They copied everything off of every computer in the building. Now, what does that have to do with your financial records? I mean, it, it, especially, especially when the uh, corporate executives directed the, uh, the raiders to the file cabinet where the financial records were. And then they left those financial records. And just proves the point. And even with a, war- a search warrant, they don't follow the search warrant that they have. They just but then do that's whatever a violation. they want regardless to the law. Go ahead, honey. That's a violation. I mean, oh, yeah. if you leave what you say you come for, you you that's that's saying that's a bait and switch. That's yep. illegal. Absolutely. You, you can't say I'm coming for financial records and then leave them because that was never your purpose. As far exactly. as they're concerned, they're the FBI. They can do whatever they want Not to do. As far as no, we're, no, no, no. As far as we're concerned, they, they are should, concerned. It should have been something filed against them because well, that's, you, that's false. And, and, and J.D. It was a false. And, um, I'm sorry. You're, you're not going to get any argument here. <laughs> not I at mean, all. And everything you're saying is absolutely right. And, and, uh, and all the things that you're saying as far as things that should be done as a, as a recourse and as a relief, 
all those things were done. That just shows you the level of corruption and how deep this thing goes with the IRP-6 case. So that's only scratching the, the surface of it. Once it started, once that train left the station, um, it, it was like, uh, it was, it was, it just started picking up passengers <laughs> along and, the way. And look at the fact the FBI was created corrupt. And, and JD, uh, by the way, thanks for that, that uh, comment as as well as that uh, that question. But go ahead, Michelle. I was just going to say, we all know when the FBI was in, in, um, put in place, they were corrupt from Jump Street. Why are we surprised that they're still doing corrupt stuff? Let's go to the phones again. We got another caller. Uh, are you there, Lawana? Yes, hi. How are you? Good. Thanks for calling. What's your question or comment? Yeah, um, I was just listening to Michelle and, and to Lynette and, and all of you about the Ferguson uh, situation and and how uh, if we don't do something, it will just continue and continue. And I was thinking about, I was thinking about that poor uh, guy that, was, that they, they choked to death on the ground there uh, yeah. not, too, not too long ago. Yeah, and, that was uh, it. I mean, they, that, the first they, they, the Trayvon Martin was uh, that was something, and then uh, it was it was this this guy he was choked to death, and then now here's Michael Brown. They don't shot him down, and every single cop, it just gets dropped. Now they 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 said that that the the poor guy, big guy that was choked on the ground, that that was a homicide. Uh, they already concluded that was that was homicide. What's being right. done about it? That's no, right. I don't see or uh, hear nothing about these crooked cops getting any kind of reprimand or anything. Now, had that been a black cop that choked a white man, he'd oh. already been locked up. He'd have been yep. done. He'd have been under the jail, uh, probably headed to death row by now. That's true. And they just let them, and then they want to say, well, so let, let's have peace. You don't deserve peace. That's peace right. Peace is given when you show peace. So I, 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 how am I going to get peace when there is no peace shown anywhere? All you do is continue to kill people and walk around and look crazy after you done killed black people. It's going right back to those days, what, like yep. the 60s and whatever, and before that, where we just shoot a Negro down in the street, and so what? Their skin is black, it don't matter. If, they, if they're dead, push them up under the carpet, throw them over the edge of the cliff, and forget they ever existed. This That's right. country has got to stand up. The black community has got to stand up. I applaud Ferguson for standing up, for marching. This is the longest anything has ever been, been uh, talked about and, and at the front of the news and everything. If you don't, if you don't make some noise, yet nothing changes. That's nothing right. changes. They'll go back. It'll just continue. I can, okay, then they shot the other man today. They shot him. Now, he comes out of the store. Uh, with, uh, with, with a knife in his hand, holding it up. Now, you know what it sounded like to me? This man was like, you're going to kill me anyway, go ahead and do it. Mm-hmm. That's the way it sounded. You're you going to kill me anyway, go ahead, shoot me, kill me, go ahead. Because yep. you know what? That people are just, it's like, well, if I got to live like this, why even live? That's right. And they, and they gladly obliged him and shot him. Two it's cops true. shot him. Which would, both cops shot him. Why? Why couldn't I say this man is, is distraught, he's out of it, uh, maybe he has a knife in his hand, I could shoot his hand and knock the knife out. Yeah, I could exactly. hit him in the arm. And knock. You didn't have to kill that, that 23-year-old boy. These That's people right. have lost their minds. They're stone crazy. Something's got to be done about it. 
That's and we right. need to make some noise. I hope it goes from coast to coast and from shore to shore until something changes. Talking about peace. You have to execute peace to get peace. Thank That's you. That's right. That's right. Thank you, Lawana, for those comments. Let's go. Uh, we got our, our uh, teammate here. Cliff is, join, is joining in. Cliff, are you there? Yeah, I'm here, Sam. Good. How you doing? Uh, I'm doing good. Uh, listening to the show, and I, I heard uh, JD when she called in. I just wanted to make a comment about all the things that she was saying about the search warrant. That um, you know, there is basically the way that they conducted their search. Um, that you know, they pretty much put us. And I was there at IRP Solutions when they did the raid. And they put us basically under arrest in the break room. And, you know, she was saying how those are, these are things that are against the law, that they're things that need to be brought up, that they're things that um, basically is a bait and switch. And all these things, the, the, the irony of that whole situation is all these things were brought to the attention of Judge Christine Arguello prior to trial. Yep. All these things were complained about. They were brought out. They were, I mean, we, we brought this because this is how we were treated. This is the way the search warrant went. These are the things that they did. They made threats to us. I was out in the hallway, and a federal uh, agent does not frisk a member of the public unless you are, um, you know, seen to be an immediate threat. I'm out in the hallway basically coming to work, they they frisk me like local cops um, frisking somebody who you know it seems to be a threat on the street. They go through my pockets, they go through my wallet, they go through my cell phone and pop out my SIM card, my memory card, and all these things. Like, what are you guys really doing here? But the the point I want to make is that it, it shows just how corrupt the system is all the way from the the FBI agent in charge, John Smith to the prosecutor, Matthew Kirsch, to the judge, Christina Arguello, that even when this was brought to her attention, that is a, I mean, any person listening to it, just like J.D., is like, this is a violation. You can't do this just based off of a search warrant. You cannot seize people and hold them under arrest and hold them captive, basically, in a makeshift jail cell that they use our break room for. You cannot do that unless the search warrant says you have a list of names of people that you are able to arrest or, or, or keep under seizure. When this was brought before Judge Arguello, she did absolutely nothing. But it speaks to everything that happened in this case that every, you know, I just go, I say, hey, these are crimes that they commit during the, during the uh, you know, during, from starting from the search warrant all the way up to the trial. These are crimes that they committed. And the judge just looked at it and brushed it under the cover. All the things that she said, okay, I'll take that into consideration. We'll talk yep. about all these facts of things that happened, and she's never dealt with it even until this day. That's right. That's right. And, and I'm glad, uh, Cliff, thanks for, for adding that in because those are the types of things that people, uh, you know, uh, they don't know that occur in these types of situations. And, and you know, we, uh, we bring it to, to their attention and let them know that it's these types of atrocities that happen. And, uh, again, Cliff, thanks for joining in. We're, we're, gonna, uh, we're almost uh, getting ready to wrap things up. But I, I wanted to uh, share a little bit of this, and I don't know if Cliff is still there, but uh, there is an article uh, that came out on Friday in Mother Jones News, and it says exactly how often 
do police shoot unarmed black men? Now, there is a, there's a, 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 a quote here from the president of the NAACP, Cornell Williams Brooks. And he told Mother, Mother Jones' uh, publication, he said, We need not look for individual racists to say that we have a culture of policing that is really rubbing salt into long-standing racial wounds. says that it's a culture in which people suspected of minor crimes are met with overwhelmingly major, often lethal, use of force. Now, for the fact that uh, that uh, President uh, Cornell Williams Brooks of NAACP, the fact that he even has to use those types of words. We live in a culture where people are suspected of minor crimes and met with overwhelmingly major, often lethal use of force. Something's wrong with that. Like you said, Michelle, we need a, need a revolution. I mean, I, this yeah. article goes on to say, and this, and this is pulling some uh, statistics, uh, where in Oakland, California, NAACP reported that out of 45 officer-involved shootings in the city between 2004 and 2008, 30 of those shots, or 37 out of the 45, were black. None were white. One-third of the shootings resulted in fatalities. And so, you know, you have this kind of stuff going on, and people want to pretend there is not a problem? Yep. Excuse me? Well, there's a problem. There is absolutely a problem. So at any rate, uh, you know, we, this, this uh, thing with uh, the story with Michael Brown and, and, and things that it has exposed, uh, it's going to go on for a while. Go ahead, Michelle. What you got? I was just going to say, there is a petition out there that uh, right now there's over 50,000 signatures. It's on moveon.org. All you have to do is search for Michael Brown. And the, um, it's to appoint a special prosecutor to investigate the murder, murder of Michael Brown. So if everyone gets a chance, if they will go out and sign that, and of course, don't forget our guys, the IRP6. If you go out to change.org and do a search on IRP6, you should also get the, the a petition out there. If you would, please go and sign that as well. Absolutely. Thanks, Michelle. And obviously, uh, State Senator Jamila Nasheed from the state of Missouri was not able to join us this evening. And uh, she actually uh, was instrumental in getting that petition started on moveon.org. And so we totally understand uh, the fact that she was not able to join us. She got her hands full. Yeah, maybe there. she can come another time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we will stay on top of that. Uh, as far as joining us here each week, join us each week on Tuesdays and Thursdays from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time for a Just Cause Coast to Coast. You can also catch us on hacradio.com as far as archives of the program, or you can go to live365.com. Each Sunday morning, you can catch us at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time on Progressive Radio Network. You can get there by going to prn.fm. Also, want to also make that request again for donations to A Just Cause. We are currently working on our 501c3. But in the meantime, donate just because you believe in what we are working on. I want to give a shout-out to uh, Judge Michael Heaving and, uh, and for him joining our program this evening. Also, I uh, want to say hello to Judge uh, H. Lee Serkin, uh since uh, we, you know, we mentioned him in the program, and, yeah. and we still encourage people to go out to, to Huffington Post and do a search on Judge Serkin. He has written extensively yeah. about the IRP-6 case, and regardless of where, you know, what the appellate court came back with a couple of weeks ago, yeah. you know, there's still things that's going on, and, and so we're going to continue to fight on that. That's as right. Far we're not stopping. Sorry. The, uh, the jurors, uh, Lynette, we want to ask the jurors to chime in. Yes, the jurors, if you have noticed, if you have any questions at all about the uh, IRP-6 trial, if you have any misgivings, if there 
or just something that's heavily weighing on your mind, feel free to give us a call. We won't hold anything against you. We know you could only reach the verdict you did with the information that you have. Our number is 855-529-4252. That's 855-529-4252. And then we also ask folks to reach out to Eric Holder's office there, Michelle. Yes, one more time. If you would, give Eric Holder a call at 202-514-2003 and also 202-514-2005. And just ask him to investigate the missing transcript in the IRP6 case. want to give a shout-out to uh, our production team, KMD Productions, uh, Captain Kyle and, and Dustin, and then Il Skilla's girl. Uh, I want to want to say uh, thanks for all the things that you do. The I, the AJC Radio Research Team, as well as Olivia, and now Gloria is uh, assisting Olivia uh, in the uh, screening and, and doing some of that production assistant. Uh, to the truth, we'd like to say thank you for your support and always yes. being there. To all the guests who called in and all the uh, other callers who called in with comments and questions. Uh, this is a Just Cause Coast to Coast, where we bring you education, awareness, and information about judicial injustice. For Cliff, Ethel, Lamont, I'm Sam Thurman, Michelle, and Lynette. Good night, America. Good night. Good night. Talk, news, politics, and inspiration.